Hello and welcome to the PhD Life Raft podcast. I'm Emma Brzezinski and today I'm talking to the wonderful Dee Reynolds. Dee draws on her own experience to offer us the beautiful metaphor of writing as choreography and she talks about how you can apply that to your own research work. And we also talk about the importance of gut instinct. So I do hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, Dee. Hello, Emma. So lovely to have you here. Um, Thank you so much because you very kindly offered to come and talk um, to us from your experience of working with lots of PhD students and now working primarily as a kind of writing mentor. Um, And we're going to get into that in a little while. Um, But just to begin... Um, and to welcome you fully with all your experience, can you tell us a little bit about your journey um, through postgraduate study and then um, coming to where you are now? Sure. Well, first of all, thanks very much for inviting me on because, as I said to you before, I'm so impressed by what you're doing on the PhD Life Raft. It's a really, really wonderful resource for PhD students and other people like me as well. So thank you for that. Um Well, I think the first thing I'd say about my um, experience doing a PhD is how much I enjoyed it. And uh, people often talk about school days as the best day of your life. But uh, I certainly wouldn't rate my school days (laughs) in that way. But my PhD study was fantastic. Um, Although, obviously, there were uh, obstacles. Everybody has some issues to deal with. Um, I think what I enjoyed most about it was the freedom to read whatever I wanted. Um, and in those days, because it was a very long time ago, this was about reading in the library mainly. Um, so that sense of freedom to sort of explore everything was just fantastic. Um, but I did find also that there were things I had to do for myself. It, it was very different then because uh, we didn't have any support systems whatsoever so I was at the University of East Anglia uh, in Norwich, which was wonderful. Um, and I went and asked who the other PhD students were, because I hadn't seen any others. I didn't even know if there were any. Um, and they gave me a list, which again, couldn't happen now of contact details. So that oh, way I was me. able, yeah, I was able to set up a, um, a sort of reading writing group for uh, the PhDs. And, and that was a great step forward. Brilliant. Um But I was very insecure about my own capacity to do a PhD and Mm. I was quite intimidated by some of the people in that group. Uh, There was Mm. one in particular who used such long words. I thought, you know, this is what you need to be able to do. I'm never going to make it. Mm. But the irony was that actually uh, he didn't manage to complete and I did. So I often look back on that and, um, you know, it sort of gives me confidence and I mm. use that example to give other people confidence as well yes yes and then another yes. thing I did was I um I uh my supervisor was great but there were certain things that he wasn't as interested in as I was and I felt I needed that interest to really keep me motivated so I had been in Paris before I had started the PhD the previous year so I decided to go back to Paris and I made contact there 
with nice. someone who was writing on issues that I was really interested in. And I just asked him completely unofficially, um, you know, would you mind reading some of my work? And it was so generous of him, um, but he agreed to do that. So that that made a huge difference to me mm. as well. Mm. Mm. Um, so basically, I, I've kind of always just sort of followed my nose and followed my followed my interests, uh, you know, mm. my gut instinct about mm. where I wanted mm. to go, which uh, took me to a lot of different disciplines. <laughs> um, it also took me to a lot of different universities. It was quite difficult in those days to get academic jobs. So I had uh, lots of temporary contracts uh, before I got my first uh, permanent job, which was at the University of Bristol, um, which I loved. And then I moved to Manchester because that was um, a promotion and also for family reasons. But I, I started working on French poetry, then moved to work on poetry in relation to abstract art, which was my PhD topic. And uh, through that, through connecting poetry and abstract art, I came to be interested in dance. Um, so afterwards, I actually shifted sort of shifted emphasis again and started working in the field of 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 dance particularly contemporary dance um which i really enjoyed and i also worked with neuroscientists as part of that research looking at dance audiences so yeah i love working across disciplines um and i really enjoy as i said the phd period and working with phd students was mm. really one of my favorite parts of the job so when i left the university I wanted to continue working with people who are doing new research because there's something really exciting about that time so mm. through the work I do now supporting PhD students uh, with academic writing skills and also copy editing and proofreading um, it's so exciting for me because I get to find out about new things that are happening right now and some of them are in my own area of knowledge and some of them are completely outside uh, for example, what I'm working on at the moment is um, it's research in genetics about male infertility. And that just landed on my desk a few days ago. You know, so it's a really interesting job because you never know what you're going to encounter next. I love that. Wow. Yes. And I, I, this, this theme of following, following your nose, as you said, following your gut, um, this sense of kind of instinctual ways of working, which we, which you'd think would not sit necessarily with academic work. You know, it's all about the mind, the life of the mind. But actually, that's true in so, so often and in so many ways in terms of trusting your instinct, trusting mm. your gut. Mm. Um, and I love that that's a strong part of your story um, and it's taken you to all sorts of interesting places. Um, so talking of interesting places, where mm. you are now, with male infertility sitting on your desk, <laughs> which I'm really, <laughs> really interested. I have a real strong interest um, in, in fertility work. Um, but uh, we're here not to talk about that. We're here to talk about writing. Um, and you suggested a beautiful title, this idea of the choreography of writing. So can you tell, tell us what you mean by that when you talk about the choreography of writing? Yeah, well... Um... If you think about choreography as designing movements and designing sequences of movements and how they fit together, uh, that's actually very closely related to what's involved. The skills are closely related to what's involved 
in in writing a PhD. And in fact, the word choreography has got writing within it because uh, the Greek word graphia means mm. writing. Mm. And then you've got the uh, chorus um, aspect as well. So um, thinking in terms of starting with the smallest unit from the, the sentence uh, right up to the whole structure of the thesis, the whole kind of um, architecture of, of the thesis. Um, it's it's very much about the same sorts of principles. So thinking about um, the flow, uh, the logic, the structure does really start with something as simple as a sentence. And I, I tend to find with the students I work with that the ones who need most help with the whole structure, they also need help with the that small part of, of the, the sentence. Um, and it becomes more and more important when you're dealing with complex ideas and also different sets of ideas um, because it's the same principle that applies about logic and flow. And a principle that I find I often stress with uh, PhD students is the, near for, the need for clarity uh, because sometimes people think that if they're writing about something complex, it should sound complicated. Mm. Um, but actually, it's the opposite, really. Um, in order to be illuminating, which is what you want to be, um, you should make your writing very, very clear. Um, so, as I say, it works, it works from the idea of um, small structures, but also large ones. So mm. if you think about choreographies that involve often moving between solo work and then duets and trios and possibly a larger group of dancers and they're constantly changing and the sense of timing is really important so when do you bring a new element in when do you leave an element behind and move on to the next one mm -hmm. so it's all of these skills that are involved in in writing and uh, creating a phd that is um really a, a, a work of art and, and a pleasure to make and also a pleasure to read because yes. I think it's important to bear the examiner in mind. It's like when you're, um, when you're um, uh, making a, a dance work, there are certain kinds of dance works that people do like contact improvisation. That's not really meant for an audience always. It's something you do as a practice. But mm -hmm. when work is going to be shown on the stage, you will always need to have, your audience in, in mind, what will they see? What angle will they see it from? Mm. Um, so similarly, when you're writing the PhD, you need to think of your most important audience in the first instance is your supervisor, but then later will be your examiner. I love this metaphor. I think it's so beautiful and elegant and this sense of, yes, of, of exploring new, you know, to, to be in that metaphor, exploring ways of being, ways of expression. And it makes me think of, because it, as you enter in and kind of becoming that, that the as you're writing, which is a process of becoming in itself, mm. um, this, you know, thinking about when you're, as a performer, you have certain personal ticks, don't you, that often mm. a director or a, chor a choreographer will need to iron out of you. Um, yes. I, I say me, me, I have personal taste. <laughs> so, but that sense of actually that's going to become apparent in your writing too, that you will have personal tics and that, and that, that, that may need to be addressed in terms of allowing things to flow um, mm. through. So I just, I, I love that metaphor. It, it really can open up in, in, in a very sort of creative and um, 
organic way this, this idea of the writing and mm, mm. um, and so you you were going to talk then about this balancing reading and writing and kind of the blends there within that um in the context of this choreography of writing so mm. can you tell us a little bit about that yeah well um as I said, I, I was working mainly with um, contemporary dance and contemporary choreographers. And uh, one of the interesting things I found about contemporary choreographers is how they work very much with their dancers. Um, there's There's been a lot of research on what is the secret of choreographers. You know, how do they manage the great ones? How do they manage to produce such good work? And it's it's really hard to work out exactly uh, what that is in each in each case because it seems to be very individual um, but I have also I've watched choreographers working and found it fascinating how they um, they draw on their dancers so for example sometimes they would give them uh, a theme just it could be a word or a phrase or something to work with and they ask them to um, produce material on that theme and then they they look at them and sometimes they uh, they join in with them themselves um, so when they when they when they choreograph their work, it's not coming out of nowhere. Just like with a PhD, it, you don't just sit down and write. It's not like writing a novel; it doesn't sort of come out of your head. Mm. The PhD is coming out of what you're reading. So if, if you think of your the work that you're reading as as these dancers, you are entering their world. You're moving with them. Um, you're also take you're kind of embodying taking on in the moment while you're reading it's like moving with with those texts and you're embodying their ideas embodying their rhythms and logics um and that's a really creative way of mm. reading i think where you're actually absorbing taking it into yourself um so actively absorbing it um but then also there is that moment where this sort of critical moment of interface where you then actually make this your own and you do something different with it. So that that interface where it sort of shifts from being something that you're taking in to something that then is inspiring you to move yourself or to have a vision of how what this choreography is going to, to look like. Um, where you know you said about certain dancers maybe having individual ticks, so you might want to, you might want to point that out in a nice way. In a, in a PhD, you can actually be quite critical yes. of what you read. Um, uh, you don't always have to be that nice about it. Although there are academic conventions for being polite while at the same time being very um, devastating. Mm. Um, so, so you can take things apart, you know, that don't work, uh, and then you um, you move on to make your own piece of work that will um, will choreograph these these dancers these texts uh, that you've that you've read um, and will bring them in um, use them and uh, bring them together to produce something that's different from what they would have been without your input mm, I, and I it's just... very important sorry I just would say also it's very important when I mentioned about keep moving um, keeping moving is in this case, a bit like keeping writing. So mm. when you are reading, it's very important to not lose track of your own movement practice. In other words, your own writing practice here. Mm. So you have to keep sort of translating what you're reading into your own writing. Now, sometimes that might be 
simply note taking. Um, and it's very important that your notes and choreographers do this as well. They, they, they often develop extraordinary systems of, of uh, um, recording what they, they see uh, other dancers doing. You need to develop your own system so that you can easily retrieve um, what you have read and where you've read it. Um, and also your own ideas arising from that. So those are those are two different things. Um, so being able to go back and identify where the idea came from is one thing, and then uh, keeping track of your own ideas is another. Um, so those those things really need to happen in tandem. So it's not a case of, uh, to go back to the choreo choreographing metaphor, it's not a case of sort of sitting back and watching the dances for days and then thinking, oh, well, I better try and do something myself now, because by that stage, you've already lost track of where they were at the beginning. They might have had brilliant movement material that you saw on the first day so respond to it as you go along mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. you will then you will have um then you will have your own body of work you're not starting with that terrifying blank page um but you've already got something you've already got your own movement material that then you can uh mold and shape into your your thesis i love that i, lo I love that you you're returning us to this idea of embodiment and embodied learning and embodying and kind of processing that material and I did a really interesting interview around um reflective journaling alongside so along yes. you know alongside the PhD and I think that this that this is the sort of practice you're talking about isn't it in terms mm. of mm. which is yeah that it, it, uh, that's such a rich practice to be engaged in yeah um, it also relates to um why I, I, I taught French so um I would always encourage students to read as much as they could in French um, and to learn to read in such a way. So to give more sort of uh, specific example of what I mean by embodying the reading. So um, with reading in a different language, it's sort of even more, um, it's clearer to explain. So I would ask them to look at things like sentence structure how 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 are sentences in French structured? How might that be different from how they would write that sentence in English? And then practice using that structure themselves. So when I'm working with PhD students now, um, I also encourage them to, uh, when they're reading work that they like, work that they think is good, that's well-written and that's clear and well-structured, to actively observe how that's done and then it's much easier to reproduce it. And after a while, that becomes instinctive. Mm -hmm. It's a bit like babies learning a language. You know, they don't set out to learn. They just absorb it. And then one day they start speaking and they speak in the way that they've heard. So reading can be like that. And it's important to um, to actively cultivate the good practice. Mm. 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 That's so interesting. So interesting in terms of, yes, of of really inhabiting um in in the most kind of gracious way i guess in, in terms of what what um a writer is is doing in acting in that mm. um so you because i know because we we've had a chat in advance so i know what's kind of coming to, <laughs> so we're gonna say talk to us about applying I, these ideas 
to the literature review. So giving some sort of very practical examples of how people um, might use this um, for their own work. Yeah. Um, Right. Well, the literature review is sort of um, close to my heart because it's so important. And when I I found uh, recently an article, which I'll I'll put on the uh, resources list I'll give you, which... um, talks about the criteria that are used to evaluate the, lit- the literature review. It also emphasises there that it's kind of the gold standard for people to judge whether somebody is really, this isn't their expression, but I'm just explaining it this way myself, whether there's, they are sort of members of the club. Have you, yes. are, have you joined the club, you know? And nice. um, yeah, and when I was thinking about this, I also thought back to my own experiences of examining PhDs <clears throat> when it's different from supervising because when you're supervising and you read the literature review you've already read the rest of the thesis but when you're examining that that's kind of the beginning you know it often follows straight on after the introduction sometimes it's combined with the introduction so you don't know anything about the thesis and that that also makes it very important because it sort of sets the tone and you get a feeling whether, yeah, this person is on top of it, this person has got there, or actually this person is struggling a bit. You know, we're not sure whether this thesis is going to work or, or, or not. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, and, and then obviously it's also something you need to come back to at the end because you need to sort of relate your, your conclusions to where you started in the literature review. So also it, it's important to sort of closing that circle. Um, so coming back just for a moment to the uh, choreography metaphor, which I'll also relate to the criteria, um, I would say that a really good literature review uh, has a certain quality about it, which I would say is um, a sense of tension and a sense of potential. So the tension is between looking back and looking forward, and the potential comes out of that tension. The, it, it generates a certain kind of energy. Mm-hmm. So um, relating this to what the, uh, the criteria are, um, they are to do with knowledge, um, knowing what the field, your field has said about your topic, uh, understanding, so you need to show that you've really you've really absorbed and understood what's what's been said uh synthesizing it um in your own way um and also critiquing as we mentioned before you need to show what you um what you think doesn't work and why so those those are all basics of things that are absolutely necessary uh what um people say really sets it sets the literature review apart and makes it extra special is uh, taking us beyond your established disciplinary perspective. So, you know, uh, showing that there's something really different that you're doing and uh, signposting new new directions. So you're aware of the whole discipline. You're not just taking forward a small um, section, but you're aware of how this will contribute to your discipline as, as a whole. Um, it doesn't have to be 
something huge. It can be, I think, quite anxiety producing when people yes, feel, definitely. oh, they've got to, you know, they've got <laughs> to. Um, and, and people feel they have to be Einstein or they have to be somebody, you know, really um, mega famous. Well, obviously, if you look at the number of PhDs that are written every year and yes. compare that to the number of people who are mega famous, you can see, no, it's not it's not going to be a, a criterion. Um and so, some very famous people didn't get their PhD, just to just to say. <laughs> well, that's true as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So the contribution in itself can be very small, but it's about your vision. So you can make a small change, um, but as long as you can show why that matters, why is your change important? Um, so uh, you, because your change is going to affect the field, it will affect what people do in some way. Uh, so just explain why why it matters, um, because that's not going to be obvious to everybody. I, I met a student once when I was doing my own PhD who was, um, he was Swedish and he was doing a PhD in Sweden. And his PhD was taking something like 15 years. And he told me that it was about the adverb. And I have to confess, I couldn't, I couldn't grasp, you know, why it would take him 15 years to write about the adverb. And he never actually explained to me why it was important. So that's really crucial. Mm. You have to explain why, why it's important. Um, so coming back again to the, um, the, the, core, the choreographical idea. So if you think of this in terms of, think of the literature review in terms of embodying uh, attention. So a dancer on stage, can really engage you by um, conveying the fact that they're sort of torn between um, something behind and something ahead. So the, the movement is sort of held, as it were, in tension between backwards and forwards. So the, the literature review is a bit like that. So the looking back behind you is the landscape uh, of where you're coming from. So that's the field of your discipline. Uh, you could also think of it in personal terms, maybe as a field of, of the past, you know, your past life, what, what, what is there. Mm -hmm. And to uh, what, what you need to do in this, in this uh, section is to, uh, to introduce us to this past, identify its key, its key features, um, what's, what's important, what, what do you really want to carry with you forward into, into the future? Um, but what do you need, what, are you going to discard and why are you going to discard it? Um, what is sort of useful, but not quite in the same form? What do you need to to change a bit, to tweak in order to, to take it forward? So there you need to, to comment, you need to evaluate. And then you need to give us a sense of where it is that you're going to take all this. Uh, so that's the bit I was talking about before um, where you're looking ahead to um, the potential uh, for mm. where this is going to take us. What, mm. what it, where is your, PA, your PhD is going to take us on the journey um, or going to introduce us, you know, to, <clears throat> to, 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 to show us this wonderful choreography. So yes. we need to uh, experience at this point, ideally we should be experiencing a sense of anticipation. So your examiner reading the thesis is thinking, wow, this person, even if they know the, because they probably do know the area very well already, otherwise they wouldn't have been appointed as your examiner. So, you know, ideally they'll be saying, wow, yes, you know, I, I knew this before, but this person has really given me a new perspective on what was already there, what I thought I knew. 
because they showed me this different this different path through it and um they've made me really uh curious about what they're going to do with this and where they're going to take me i love it i love it and i love this idea of the tension and and that sense of these kind of this the action the tension the potential the anticipation Mm. the literature of you as a curtain raiser i love it Mm. (laughs) i love it um so d um we we need to now press you I don't need to press you. I'm just making that up. <laughs> but I would like to ask you mm. for a top tip that people could um, take away with them. Um, well, as they say on Desert Island Discs, maybe I could cheat a bit and have two. Just there one you little, go. little one. There you go. <laughs> a little one in a big one. Um, so the little one really is what I said at the beginning um, about uh, enjoyment, relaxing mm. and in- enjoying the time. Because when you're in it, it's, it can be quite hard because you have all these uh, challenges that are there all the time. Um, but looking back on it, you, you, the chances are you will think, oh, it was a great time when I had freedom to read what I wanted and do, you know, do so much uh, focus on my own um, interests and delineate my own field. So try to really enjoy that as you go along and take loads of time off loads mm. of time off away from it you absolutely need to get away to get the perspective mm. so that's that's for starters okay. then the other thing i would say um which i did myself um when i set up the reading group and when i went to paris and uh i also advise students that i'm working with now to do is to seek out positive feedback um if you're already on the PhD life raft you were already on the right track so (laughs) I'm probably uh, preaching to the converted here but it's extremely important to for maintaining motivation and um, confidence in your own work Mm. to to make sure you you find sources of positive feedback and they're not always immediately there so your supervisor is probably really busy and people are under a huge amount of stress, especially at the moment, and workloads are massive going through the roof. So it may be difficult for them to give you as much support as you feel that you need. Also, face-to-face contact is much less at the moment than usual. And normally just seeing people and talking to them face-to-face is very helpful. So particularly at the moment, you need to find other ways of doing this. So the way I would think about this is, if it was choreography, it's don't just be a soloist. You know, you need to be with a solo dancer. You need to be with your your fellow dancers. You need to be interacting in these groups of, you know, duets, trios, large groups, whatever. Um, or in terms of conversation, it's about not talking to yourself inside your own head all the time, because that is something that I think that's a, a kind of a, an occupational risk of a PhD, that mm. it's constantly having conversations with yourself in your head. Um so you need to go out there and find people that you can dialogue with. And that can be at any level. People sometimes think, oh, you need to find an expert to comment on your work. That really isn't the case. Because if you think about the writers that you like reading most, probably those people, unless you're working in a very specialized field like male infertility, like I mentioned before, um, in terms of genetics. But you know, if you're working in a less uh, scientific field, the chances are, that the writers that you really rate will make a fair amount of sense to most people. 
because they write well. So I don't think there's any reason not to ask members of your family or your friends to read work. And you can you can set it up positively for yourself by asking them to tell you what do they like about it. You don't have to ask them for negative feedback. You can ask them for specifically for positive mm. feedback. You can mm. also, um, there's lots of resources online. Uh, you can set up your own groups online with people. You can join postgraduate forums. Again, there's lots online. Um, another couple of things that I would recommend are to join mailing lists um, that are specific to your your subject, your discipline. Because uh, there are lots of mailing lists where you will find some things you need to delete them straight away, but other things will develop into discussions that are actually very stimulating. And people often post when they've published something new. So it's a way of finding out what has just been published. Um, they'll also post about conferences. And then finally, I would say um, you need quite early on to think about publishing yourself because that is how academics really enter into this dialogue with other people working in the same field. So early on, uh, start looking around for opportunities to uh, to publish. And this way you, you'll feel part of um, an academic community and you won't feel isolated. Brilliant. Brilliant. Thank you so much for that. Um, a plethora of top tips and uh, we were uh, blessed with your wisdom there. Thank you so much. Um, we will, as always, we will have uh, details in the show notes of how you can find out more about Dee's work, make contact with her. Um, and also don't forget to sign up for the newsletter because we always put more information in there than we can fit into the show notes. So you can sign up for the newsletter on the website. Thank you so much, well, Dee. Well, thank you, Emma. It's been really great to talk to you. And thank you all for listening. Thank you. Bye. Take care, everyone.